When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 393 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'd like to welcome to the show for the first time, Barca Spaces. Very much like the purist last week, I'm letting him decide when he wants to reveal his name and his face on his own terms, due to the fact that we got to know each other through Barca Spaces, aka on Twitter Spaces. I feel like I, we probably should have just done the show there, then recorded it and popped it up here. But because this is on YouTube now, the full show, because this is in audio format, I want it to be as crisp and perfect as I, I, I needed it to be. So I didn't just want the, the Twitter audio to take control. So Barca Spaces, you know, again, this is all on you to reveal your face and your name later on. But thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. So just explain to me, you know, again, you're a little bit, quote unquote, new on the Barca community scene, but uh, it seemed like there was a need on, especially obviously Twitter, on Twitter <laughs> for what you've done. Yeah. So what went into deciding to do Barca spaces and how did you start to go about inviting people like me or like other people in this Barca community on, on, on social media? Absolutely. For the longest time, for many, many years, I've always wanted to speak with and meet Barcelona fans from around the world. And it wasn't really easy to do this, apart from, for example, meeting people across the street or whether you're in New York and you know other Barcelona fans, you become friends with them and slowly can introduce their friends and so on. So when I jumped into Twitter, 
I wasn't really using it to meet people. I was mostly using it to know what's going, what's happening right now with the world and, of course, with sports and so on. But then Twitter released their Twitter Spaces feature. And I immediately knew, oh my God, this is going to be big for the sports community, specifically uh, for what I love, the Barcelona community. I, I was expecting that the likes of Barca uh, Center, Barca Worldwide, Total Barca, and all the other big accounts like Barca Buzz and so on would be jumping on this, creating sp spaces on a weekly basis, maybe daily basis, depending on their availability and so on, to have um, all the Barcelona fans listen in, live uh, conversations and so on. Meanwhile, I believe I heard a few things about something called Clubhouse, although I really never got into it, that that's where the feature kind of was inspired by. I wish I knew about it earlier to kind of be involved, but um, alas, here we are with the Twitter spaces world. Then I start to notice, well, not many people are doing this. I'm surprised like only like regular fans are having spaces with like five people, two people, three people, and so on. So I thought, okay, let me start talking to these folks. So I actually started reaching out to La Senera, to Barca Center, because I knew a couple of people who work uh, kind of behind the account. And I asked them, how would you like to start these kind of spaces? At the time, they were like, no, we're not really sure. I don't know if we were, we were comfortable speaking live in front of everyone. So I was a little bit disappointed. So I thought, okay, if no one's going to do it, I might as well start doing it. So I looked on Twitter. Somehow Barca Spaces was available, reserved it, and started. At the very beginning, I remember it was just me and two other people. Slowly, people were finding uh, about us uh, uh, through searches and other tweets and so on. So slowly, we started having more and more and more. And suddenly, we started reaching to like hundreds and that's when random kind of uh, popular accounts start to show up. And that's where the kind of accounts start to get more and more attention, which is what I'm happy to hear. I'm really happy with that. That's how I met Neil, um, Barcelev, uh, Kevin, and many wonderful people and start to see opportunities for more and bigger and bigger kind of spaces. Originally, I thought, okay, we'll just have spaces before and after the match. And then I started to see that there was a desire and need. Oh, we want to know more about the people behind the accounts. Oh, that's brilliant. So I think I remember interviewing Raphael. And that was a kind of a record for me. Like we had like 2,000 people uh, listen in to it. And like, wow, people really care about these things. We had wonderful conversations with Raphael at the time. Um, the Bartomeu era, the things that he knew about what was going on behind the scenes and how he was upset about it things that a lot of people did not know about. So that was really eye-opening, very educational. And then slowly um, uh, started talking to new people and new people. And then Neil came on the on my one of my Twitter spaces. And that also brought a lot more people. And then that's how kind of we grew. I, like, I'm really happy with the growth. I really never cared about the followers, but I just want to talk to people. I just really want to meet new, wonderful, smart people to learn from. And that's how eventually we came up with the idea. What if at some important times we bring in the big accounts to discuss random things? And that's how I met you. I met the purist. I met a few wonderful people. We had a wonderful kind of roundtable discussion, which was awesome. So hopefully we'll continue to do this more and more often. Yeah, I mean, the names you're saying, I mean, you're, you're using first names, but by and large, almost every name that you said have been on this podcast at some point. Yes. So yes, yeah. I, I was destined to be in those 
the Barcelona spaces at some point, just because this is the audio format for all this stuff. But all right. So we actually do have to actually talk about Barcelona today and talk of about this on this show here. So where we begin, we're going to do Elche later. It feels a bit dated already, even though it's only been less than 48 hours since the match happened. But we're going to hit some of the main points for that. Again, not too much to talk about of a 3-1, just a dominant win against LJ, who were down to 10 men after the first less than 20 minutes. So it was kind of already decided that thing was done and dusted, but a few talking points there. Before that, though, one of the players who did not feature in that game because he's only played the season against Victoria Pilsen and Cadiz this season is Gerard Piquet. And the big question was posed by Sport which means maybe somebody at the club urged somebody at Sport to release this article. It's usually what we're saying when it comes to Mundo Deportivo or Sport, that there's a reason why some big breaking story that's really an opinion piece. Will PK retire or should he retire? Why is that being released now? X, Y, Z, right? And I think that it's, it's aligning with the report, with the claim that, and it seems like the website that I'm trusting to, Capology, that goes over the salary, the claim is that PK earns 52 million euros this coming season or this season, which at Barcelona is the highest salary at the club, also the highest in the Liga in totality, one of the highest in world football. And believe it or not, PK's 52 is somehow even way more than De Young's 37.5, who sketches 37, Alba's 20.8, and the 20 million for Umtiti, which is a whole different thing. Even with him being on loan, Barcelona is still paying that number. And this was in a report also released about the budget for 2023-24. We're talking about whether or not there's future salary limit issues for Barcelona and whether or not they run the whole risk. So what's the point of this? Whether or not they run the whole risk of the whole debacle about the salary limit. Remember when it came down to 97 million last season and Barcelona a whole bit of trouble trying to register players. And now this season it's in the 600s and yet Barcelona still were struggling to the final day with a 600 million euro salary limit to register their entire team. That's what we're talking about with how high these wages are. And so obviously, when you're looking ahead at the budget they're trying to set and the salary limit for next year they're trying to set, the short version is that with several things at play, like playing in Week next season, and they also have to pay a rental fee, apparently, to that stadium. I think that I, that's what I've seen, because during the stadium renovations, they'll be playing in Week, And then again, having those big salary numbers on the books. Again, if they cannot move anybody, then the salary limit will come down, which would make it hard for them to not only sign players, but to even to fit the players they currently have under next year's salary limit. So when all is done and dusted, I know I'm about to throw to you the easy part of it, and that's that should PK or will PK or can PK retire at this point or or what his timeline should be? And that's going to be based on sporting stuff. That's going to be based on PK the person. But realistically, again, this information popped off just to start this topic because he makes 52 million a year, which is just crippling for whatever the club wants to do next season, whatever FIFA manager or whatever football manager player you want to find on social media or try to watch more video. I mean, again, I'm trying to watch compilations of players, but it does not matter a gosh darn bit at this point. They're not going to be able to afford anybody unless they can get PK off their books. Starting with PK. There's other players too, but starting with PK. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, is Pika's contract ending in 24 or 25? Uh, it's 2025, I believe. Let me just double oh, check. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, okay, just check this one that it is 2024, actually. It's two years. Oh. And young is four years, 26. Okay. This is at 2023, as we know. So he'll be done this year. And then Alba's is still a two year deal. So he still is 2024. 
UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration is underway for the biggest stars, top teams, and scariest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid, oh I know, defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, I'll say it again, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-filled second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. So, should PK retire, or should he leave, or should he stay? It's a really difficult question because it really depends on how much he values the club and how much he values his career, how much he values his ability to play. If you asked me that question last season, I, w- I would have told you, uh, no, I don't think Pique would be retiring, especially that Xavi counted on him and played him a lot of the games, a lot of the important games last season. But now it's been quite interesting. Uh, there's a complete change in the type of prioritization on who plays and who doesn't play. Looking at PK, we brought Kunde, we brought Christensen, Araujo is now emerging as a very reliable defender. I, would I say think healthy. I think healthy even more so than reliable as far yes. as like how we categorize Araujo. Araujo was never healthy last year, and so a healthy Araujo is a difference. Absolutely, yeah, touche. Um, so with the availability of wonderful, reliable kind of defenders, I can definitely understand why Chab is finally decided, you know what, I'm going to bench peek in and play players who can do a lot more for me, uh, kind of better skilled, healthier, more reliable, and so on. Same thing with uh, Alba as well. If you asked me last season, I thought, oh, no way. Uh, Alba will continue to play because Chab continues to trust him. And I, that's why I was very, very disappointed when the preseason, Balde continued to play and he was doing really, really well. And then the first game of the season, Xavi decided to start Alba. I know that started a whole kind of um, storm of political and kind of dramatic response from the fans, from the board and everyone. But I'm glad that to see that Xavi finally realized, you know what? Um, yes, I made a mistake. I should have rewarded Balde for his wonderful performances by having him start in the season and so on. After all, he keeps bragging about his merit-based system. So yeah. Now, whether or not it makes sense to have them leave the club, absolutely, when it comes to the finances of it. At their age, to what they contribute to us on the pitch, $50 million a year is way, way too much. Not That's not something that you pay uh, kind of a a bench player, to be honest. Plus, no one could justify 50 million a year apart for Messi um, because of all the things that he brings, apart from performances on the pitch, the sponsorships, the money, the attention, all that stuff. Pique does not generate that much, but I understand it's not necessarily his fault. It was the fault of the the man who shall not be mentioned on this <laughs> on this podcast who gave him a, a contract like that. He made a lot of mistakes. I understand why that president decided to give out these kind of contracts. Like from one perspective, he thought, oh, the bigger the contracts I give to the players, the bigger I can claim their valuation is, the bigger the finances uh, will look lovelier um, at the end of the day. It's a risky move. Um, And if it weren't for the pandemic, we might not have ever found out about this, to be honest. Well, I mean, even talking, even though talking about, uh, you know, 
than the names about Bartomeu and things. I always bring up when we're speaking about De Young or whoever that we should bring up Bartomeu because, again, I think so much, especially with Titi's renewal and all that stuff, like so much Iris put on the players and decisions they're making. But again, they signed the dotted yeah. line for these contracts that, in theory, was built on a revenue that was supposed to be one billion, and it was yeah. malpractice when it was when it was signed prior to a pandemic, even right. And yeah all the pandemic losses and things like that. So yeah, financially, like these were always contracts that were going to blow up in their face. And again, it was based on a salary structure where Messi is making what he's making. So you're saying, oh, a team is 11 players. So therefore other players must be built on a messy salary structure, not on an actual healthy wage structure. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, that's a big thing. I think though there is splitting hairs here between PK and Alba because Alba at 33, you kind of wonder what more he could possibly provide to you. And I wonder how long his career still has left. Yep. Uh, he turns 34 in March. So I'd say Alba probably has two or three more seasons to be useful in the top flight somewhere. Yep. PK is 35 going on 36. And yep. the question about PK and why I think, again, you're seeing the article about him and you're not, I mean, Busquets, he makes what he makes, but I don't think he's on the radar right now because even of what he Right. Even if you're saying, oh, Barca can't win a Champions League with Busquets starting, I'm putting quotes around that. But even if Busquets can't win, a cha- Barca can't win a Champions League with Busquets starting, like, yeah, fair question that we're trying to dissect and figure out that he needs to be replaced eventually, sure. And yep. financially, 37 million is too much. But like, what, P- what uh, Busquets rather still provides you on the field at a really, really top level club, like a, te- a team that is going to be fighting for La Liga and Busquets is an instant starter, like, yep. that tells you what quality he still has. And yes, as you said, PK was Barca's best defender last season. But a lot does change in a few months. And yep. I also want to remind you that even being Barca's best defender, he was often injured last year. Yep. And was and those those knee injuries in particular, just actually TT, those, those knee injuries not heal. You don't wake up and feel better, right? I think, not to show my age, but we're getting, I'm getting to the point now. I asked my wife. I, I was doing a lot of physical stuff and people follow me on other stuff. And so I was waking up and the outside of my knee was hurting. I've never had knee problems, whatever. And my wife just says, well, you're post 30 of course like that's what happened you just wake up and then something hurts and then you start to walk around and it stops hurting anymore so it's kind of where we're at and i can't imagine the pk who's had tons of knee injuries i can't imagine that pain goes away throughout a day and i think what's also going into this there's multiple again multiple factors here that pk has previously insisted especially after the bayern munich match that we don't talk about here that yep. he's if he's no longer wanted at barcelona it's kind of what he said that he would call it a day but really when the time had passed him and Again, now he's got four players uh, ahead of him on the queue, that being Araujo, Garcia, Christensen, and Koundé. You could argue that Marcus Alonso, who can play left center back, where PK plays occasionally, is ahead of him on the queue. And mm-hmm. looking down at Barca Athletic, I know he's young, but Chari Riyad is already looking pretty good. Just good, confident young player who's going to deserve a few extra Copa del Rey minutes this year. And is already proven to be Barca Athletic's one of their most important and influential and protagonistic players so there's depth there at the fifth or sixth center back spots in the academy as well so i think the idea that barca is hoping he hangs up his boots the pressure and i will tell you this that this could get ugly if the club is trying to through the media pressure him because his off the field stuff and this is the final part of this the off the field stuff really hurt his reputation we already know that el presidente eventually wants to be president of barcelona in the future and all this stuff right but Obviously, what happened with him personally and Shakira and the new woman in the picture, that stuff, unfortunately, like it affects the player's public image, him and his dealings in the, what was it, the the Davis Cup or was it, yeah, the, the Davis Cup and 
traveling midseason the last few seasons or tennis, which he has a, a physical a fiscal stake in and the, the money that PK has that's going different places. And I think the thing that he needs to look at, too, is being president of Andorra FC, who are now in the second division. If anything, like I think the play for him isn't have, think, having anything to do with football, which means he should retire. But I think his play is that if I remain a part of Barcelona, we do a little bit of winning. They see me as just a leader around, which I don't know how they're going to do that if he makes 52 million euros. Like The fans are just going to keep bringing that up. But I think his yeah. belief is that, oh, they're going to see me as part of this team, as part of this really, you know, I want to be a part of Barca as they reach the top again so that really he could use that in the future to say, hey, here's my credentials. I know the whole secure thing, but you're not electing a president of Barcelona based on his relationship with a with a with one of the most magnanimous pop stars in, in the world. But you're not basing a football presidency on that. You're basing it on, hey, I was president of FC Andorra and saw them make revenue hand over foot and took them to new heights. And I'm a legend of Barcelona, which again is to be the most important factor for how why people vote for him. And yep. I also was, again, part of those last glory years, right? I helped get us back to that level. The only thing is, like, did, is he going to step aside as a player when he needs to it? But I don't know if that's going to matter to presidency. So I'm like so, trying to figure out his campaign more than I am even like trying to figure out why he, for sporting reasons, would retire. So you brought wonderful points. So in my opinion, if it was up to me, he would retire, he would leave, he would focus on his business. Because quite honestly, he's a very business-driven person and he's been focused on his businesses at the companies and all the media and all the things that he wants to do for quite some time. Even during the Valverde era, as you mentioned, sometimes he would skip training, he would come late in because he was busy doing work, traveling, uh, showing his face around for other promotional purposes, blah, 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 all that stuff. He had so much power that he would be able to get away with it and unfortunately, Valverde wouldn't really punish him. He would just show up later. You know what? You're starting today. Congratulations, BK. And then he would continue. It really set the wrong attitude within the club, within the team. Like, I didn't really feel the kids had someone to look up to. Like, someone would show up late and still get a, a minutes. Uh, not something I admired. But all this happened already. We're where we are right now. With all the drama, as you mentioned, with all the horrible media surrounding him, I think he should take a vacation, retire, leave uh, Barcelona or go on to hiding or somewhere, focus on his businesses, reset his mindset, all the things that are surrounding him, let the drama die off, move on, and then continue to focus on, on the footballing aspects of things again later on with a healthier mindset, healthier mentality side, and maybe come back again, as you mentioned, try to uh, become president of FC Barcelona, which is what seems to be his dream. From my perspective, he will only be successful at becoming Barcelona's president if he helps the club today, if he waives his wages, or at least part of it. Because when he runs for president, people the first thing people will ask him, to doubt him, where were you when we needed you the most, when the club was in basically in dying need of support financially? And they will say, hey... Laporta asked him multiple times to help the club, and he said, no, 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 and no. They will bring all that up again. And if he doesn't do something about it today to help his case, I don't think he will ever become uh, Barcelona president, to be honest. But that's assuming that's what he wants. I'm not really sure. That, it seems like that's the assumption that people have. I don't know it's, if it's an inside joke that he had or it's truly his ambitions. No idea. But if that's truly the case, he has to act now. Because as you said, he did say after that Bayern game, he said, if I'm no longer needed, 
I will be the first person to leave. And yet he's still here, despite the fact of all the financial issues the company had, the massive salaries and so on. So it will be interesting to see um, what he does. In, in my opinion, for his sake and his career and so on, he should do what Puyol did, what Xavi did, what Iniesta did, walk away when he's when they were not no longer really needed when they were like mostly like bench players and give up remaining uh, the remaining salary of their contracts which scored massive points with the fans massive points the point yeah. the wow. club always welcomed them back like as ambassadors as some they play they still to this day play some sort of role within the club and and I think it would definitely help him for the future if he does the same thing 52 million euros is a lot of money though. Like and exactly, I, exactly. I do like to their credit, like again, it's the third week of September and you don't know if the club will need you. Like it's a long season, right? Even being fifth yeah. on that dip chart, like injuries might happen for, for multiple players or, you know, you don't know where Balde's progress is going to be. If you're Alba, right? Like you're still Jordi Alba sitting on the bench and these players don't stop believing themselves, right? They don't, there's not a moment when then they're, like there is that thing where they say about those athletes, you die twice, right? You die as an athlete and you come to that conclusion and you kind of decide your own death. And then obviously as a person, but for a lot of these PK and Alba, like, I mean, Alba, especially like what a quick turnaround this was being, I mean, his metrics were still offensively top five in world football and yeah. like all those different percentiles. He was a 98 percentile in like all these different XG and all those advanced stats that bore people. Like he was top five in the world in all of those metrics. Right. And so, he didn't do anything to change. Like he still stinks at defending. <laughs> That's all he did. He just got a year older or had one off season. And all of a sudden now here's this, this 18 going on 19 year old coming for your job and bringing in Marcos Alonso on a one year deal. And now you're sitting on the bench and especially during LJ, there was a whole, I saw, I just watched a compilation about how he kept yawning, which I want to throw that out. Like body language is something. Yes. But like these games are long, like all yeah. of these players are like, want to be on the field. And I don't read into the body language. Like, uh, other than when players are coming off the field, like how they interact with their coach. Like I always think that matters to a point, right? Like it kind of says something, but I, I think we could, I want to really focus on Frankie de Young and, and okay. two of the big talking points coming out of Elche. And what I want to start with is with Balde because kind of transitions perfectly from that conversation. If you're PK, I think you're a bit surprised at the progress that Eric Garcia has made. Like if yeah. you watched any Sevilla last year, you're like, oh, Jules Quinde is coming for my job. Uh-oh, like that's not going to work out. If Araujo stayed healthy, PK knew in training, like, uh-oh, if this guy stays healthy, I'm losing minutes. And Christensen coming on a free, again, yeah. he's been solid. He's just been good. Like, that's all he's been. He's been solid. He's been, he hasn't made mistakes. We saw against Bayern Munich, like, very hard to blame, particularly blame him for things. And in what he has done, quote-unquote, wrong, it seems to be chemistry issues, communication issues for a back line that is just playing each other for the first time and are still a month into that that, pro that process. So I want to remind people too that back lines take time to gel and figure things out. And so Christensen, I, I think the verdict for him will come at the end of the season. And I'm kind of willing to push that down. For Balde though, that verdict is going to keep keep being being reassessed because again, you have Alonso that's very experienced left back. And then you have Jordi Alba, who's again a club legend sitting on the bench. So for Balde, it's kind of every game kind of keeps showing up in totality. And for him very much like Eric Garcia, these players under Xavi have improved. Pedri, Gabi, Balde, Garcia. These aren't just big names. Like, these are players yeah. that I looked at them in one light, in one way, and you look at them today, right now, and you go, oh, they're all 
I mean, not that Pedri wasn't ever a useful player in Barcelona. He's he's kind of the exception there. And then Gabi kind of came as what he, and he was what he was. And we're going to see more and more from him. But in the case of Baldi and Garcia, I saw one thing last season, and I'm seeing an entirely different thing this year. Xavi has got them to improve. He's got them to be better. And it's astonishing. So the stat, I'll leave it off before you talk about Balde here and what his role this year should be, is that Makuku of Dortmund is the only player in the top five leagues who has a larger goal contribution for U19 players. As in all players who are U19 in the top five leagues. You'd think, I, I was surprised this too, right? Because of Liga, wow. Liga is playing teenagers left and right. The Bundesliga has a reputation of playing teenagers left and right. And yet, and I mean, there are teams around Spain that because of salary issues are needing to play <laughs> their youth academy players. And yet it's Alejandro Balde who's in a three-way race for the for that left back spot at FC Barcelona is the one top of that list other than Makuku with his three assists. Again, it's early days. Three assists is not like the end of the world. One player can do that in, in one game. But still, the point is that you'd think that, oh, how is he not? His final product isn't good enough or what, what have you. But yet his final product statistically has been better than almost every other U19 player playing. Like a reminder that young players don't really contribute the final goal contributions. Absolutely. This makes me very happy to be a Barcelona fan. Can you imagine how bad of a, of a footballing kind of situation we would be in if we did not have La Masia? Like just when we thought um, Bartomeu killed the club, we got lucky to find out the Gavis, the, uh, um, the Baldes, and the returning of Garcia to kind of help fix and save the club from that disaster. I mean, do you know how many thought, you know how many think pieces? And I mean, even me on BarcaBlog.com, you can look at it. Like Francesca and I, for years, just had to keep writing like, Sergio Berto was the last one, right? With cleansed teeth. Like, <laughs> when's the next one? Oh, Carlos Alenia. And then I bring up a name or Delafeu. And like, exhaustively for seven, eight years, I, yep. I, I've been doing that. Like, La Masia is dead. That's what everyone says. And obviously on ESPN or wherever, it, you know, or wherever it is, like, La Masia is dead. So you just have to face reality. And then last two years, I'm like, yep. Ansu Fati has been in La Masia for 10 years. Like, everybody, like, calm down a little bit. Like, and now you see Gabi and Garcia returning, as you mentioned, and Balde. And, I mean, basically what it is is that the young players like Gabi and Balde and the players who were always a year or two ahead of schedule, those players are starting to be integrated in the first team yeah. and, and be good on that. I, I always have to remind people that there were a few years there where I would look at that Barca, uh, that UEFA Youth League squad, and I would go, like, uh, this is the year's year or two before Puj and Kayato. Let's put it that way. So it was what, a 2017 that would be or 2016 era. I would yeah. look at that spot and I'd go, I don't see it. Like I can't imagine more than <laughs> one of these players being the first team. And then again, Balde and Gabi, I've known about for a few years now. And I went, oh, wait, these kids are 14 years old playing with 16-year-olds. And then they were 15 years old playing with 18-year-olds. And they were 16-year-olds, oh, playing, the, well, for Gabi playing the first team. But right for Balde, he was 16 playing with the U19s, right? And so... You're just you're seeing these kids ahead of schedule, and I always tell you those are the kids you have to highlight. Those are the ones you circle, the yep. ones who are way ahead of schedule. Uh, wait till the, uh, Yamal shows up. Uh, All right, everybody relax. He's 15. Everybody relax. But also, again, I'll eat crow because honestly, was 16 <laughs> when he came up, Gabi was 16 when he came up, and on Thursday show we're going to talk about a Barca B player who was the youngest ever to feature for a Barca first team for the Femini earlier uh in the week so or, yeah. or last week rather so yeah i mean i'm gonna eat crow because yeah he in 10 months he turned 16 and then all of a sudden there he is right yep. but again until they're there everybody relax absolutely now no back to baldy to be honest 
I, I knew he had talent. He just needed a proper coach to coach him, which he didn't really have until Xavi arrived. Yep. And a lot of people I remember in the Twitter spaces would be telling me, hey, I don't think Balde is Barcelona material. I think he will be the first to be shipped off. When I ask why, they would keep telling me, oh, because he didn't really play any games or didn't really have that many minutes um, under Xavi. But then you remember last season, there are two things that would be worth to highlight. One, there was this really funny, I think, La Liga rule that said that Barcelona could only use three Barca B players uh, to be part of the uh, first team or something like that. And if you think about it, when Xavi took over, he was desperate for uh, forwards. Um, so basically, he used Jutkla, he used Abde, and I think he opted for Gavi sometimes. And then, well, and then Nico as well. And then I remind you, his first game ever, he also started Ilash Komash. Yes, yes, that's true. Player who's always above schedule. It's true. Yep. Five players, as you said, for three spots. Yep. Exactly. So he didn't really have that many options to include Baldi. And based on the needs that he, he had, he opted to leave Baldi in Barca B. And of course, also when the um, second half of the season came, we really were desperate to make sure that we win every single game. So he had to have his absolute best players, the ones who are ready to perform on a daily basis. So there were no times available for development, testing, trying new things and so on. He had to win every single game as much as possible to be able to qualify. Balde also missed four months with a shoulder injury. Yes, that's true. That's true. So th- that's why, from my opinion, I don't think Bali not playing meant that Xavi did not trust him. It's, it's just unfortunate circumstances that we were left with that he, that Xavi had to, uh, that he really had to bring up certain people and um, rely on the experienced players, the ready players, or basically. So when the preseason happened, I was very happy to see Baldi coming in. I'm like, yes, I'm going to go see the match. I'm going to be excited. I want to watch it. I went to the uh, Barcelona versus New York Red Bulls. I had a blast over there and I watched him. He was unbelievable. Like Almost every single game he played, he, he did really, really well. Exit expectations for someone of his age um, playing with the first team and so on. And when the Juan Gamper trophy game uh, came along, um, I was really happy that to see that Xavi picked him over Alba. I'm like, yes, finally, he's going to get the chance. Uh, the whole merit-based system is in full effect. And he did also really well. And when La Liga start, uh, started, I'm like, yes, finally, Xavi is true to his word. He's going to keep his word. And Alba starts. And I, I knew I was really upset. I'm like, oh my God, this whole talk about merit-based system was all kind of just talk, not real. I'm um, pretty sure that means we will be seeing PK also start over Araujo, Kunde, uh, and so on. But luckily, it was a slight mistake, and he corrected that immediately. <laughs> um, although it was mostly because of pressure from the fans and the board as well. But I'm really happy to see that Bald is indeed getting the chances that he deserved and that he really, really earned. And I'm hoping that he continues to fight for his spot and prove to Xavi and the rest of the team, also the fans, that he deserves to be in the first team. And so far, he has not really disappointed. The only thing that surprised me was when Xavi kind of started Alonso over him against Bayern. I'm not going to complain too much about that because Alonso at the end of the day did really well. He he exceeded my expectation. I, I did not really expect him to do that well, given that he only had less than 10 minutes before that to prepare. 
Um, but I was really hoping to see the full merit-based system in full effect, to be honest. But at the end of the day, maybe he thought, Xavi thought, okay, let me protect Balde just in case if mm-hmm. Byron basically eat him alive. Uh, I don't want him to lose his confidence and so on. So I think from that perspective, I'm going to let it go. But I'm glad to see that he continued to play Balde more often after that. So I'm, I'm really happy for him. And I, and I think he will do really well on the long term. And Alonso would be a great person to ro- rotate with. Um, I don't really know what will happen to Jordi Alba if he'll be only dedicated to the Ibiza game in the Copa del Rey or something like that. Or will he actually be rotating in the long term? I don't know if this is a political way to force him out or to get him to reduce his salary. It's hard to say, although it was quite surprising to see that Barcelona try in the last day of the transfer window to send him to Inter Milan, to be honest. I I did not expect it, especially uh, how how much he showed that he was against moving anywhere else. I think, and I think only Xavi could really pull this off in that dressing room because true, yeah. You know, the question that people asked was, "Is Xavi going to be playing the sacred cows, as they're called, because he's friend with them and knows them?" And the 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 real question we should have been asking is, "Can Xavi continue to navigate a dressing room where he's upsetting his own friends? Where Alba? You don't think Alba has something to say? He's one of the captains. You don't think he has?" say he's one of the captains you know like you're 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 freezing out multiple of your captains as well as i want to remind you Sergio roberto is also one of the captains and while he's quote unquote hurt again not even quote unquote but he's like he he went to the international window hurt again which made hector bayarin's arrival a little bit easier because xavi could just say hey you know yeah. roberto's hurt right now so bayarin let's get him some minutes let's get him uh, some run out there and we also know exactly on a one-year deal what bayarin is there to do but to go back all the way to Balde to put that uh, to wrap that up before we talk Frankie de Young, what makes Balde's job a little bit easier? I want to throw this in too. It's something I've been calling for for a while. Where when Ricky Puj first was being called up, even prior to Kike Seti and by Valverde for those few opportunities in the Copa del Rey and the like, or we'd see Callado or we'd see um, Carlos Perez before he kind of broke out a little bit. When we'd see them play in the Copa del Rey or against uh, Ibar at the end of a season or Celta at the end of the season, you would see five to six, you know, multiple rotations where those players were now playing with Umtiti who hadn't played more than seven matches that year, or they were all basically being rotated at the same time. So that doesn't, and never really told me much of anything. Like you're basically yep. seeing a, a what 60% third division side plus players who are completely not match fit from the first team playing against a second or third di- division side who were uh, pretty cohesive at that point or in the Copa del Rey round for a reason, like they'd won other prior games against teams at their level. And that's why they're now playing Barca in what is the third round usually of the Copa del Rey. And so I think to see Balde be able to prosper and thrive, as I said with Balde, the one thing I really got right about him the last two years, I was kind of worried about his progress was that his teammates kind of concerned me last year. I always thought and said that based on his physical tools, if his teammates are better, you're going to see a bit more from him. And that again has been very true with the with Eric with uh well Eric Garcia I was about to say but with Eric Garcia those passes from the left center back out to him are getting to him faster and that's more helpful where he can get farther forward quicker right he doesn't have to actually receive the ball from the left center back farther back in his own attacking third he's able to get forward and those diagonal balls are hitting him as opposed to missing half of them in a game like 70 to 80 percent of them are hitting coming from Jules Kunde 
all the way across field or from Eric Garcia as a left center back. That's just there. Then next to him, the defensive midfielder who's protecting him by coming over. That's Sergio Busquets at times. Or it was Frankie de Jong in that game against Elche. And then who's the left interior that's also covering for him? It's a guy named Pedri, who's so far been one of the best interiors in world football right now, who is 15 of 16 on his long balls coming out to, to Balde, 92 of 96 on his on his passes, that being Pedri, five key passes against Elche, right? Like against Elche, Pedri's going to eat. And so that's your left interior. And then who is he crossing the ball into, right? It's Well, it's, it's Dembele usually in front of him on the left wing. Or late in the game, it's Ansu Fati, who, yes, he's trying to recover his fitness, or Ferran Torres, but still, you can disparage those players, and Ansu's coming back, and Ferran Torres trying to figure himself out, but still, those are gigantic names. Yep. And then, who is Balde crossing the ball into? Who is finishing those balls in from Alejandro Balde? The, the best striker in world football. Like, I say striker because striker is the appropriate term this is what he does he scores goals right yeah. Lewandowski this was a fun stat here is before he scored his second this is a stat from the first goal not the second goal in the game so when he scored the first goal he became one of just six players or sorry rather he became one of just seven players who scored seven goals or more in their first six games in La Liga he's yeah. the first to do it in the 21st century right of all the of all the Benzema of all the the Messi whatever like he has really hit the ground running, that being Lewandowski, with these with these uh, 11 goals total in the campaign. Insane. And the names on the list are the names you'd expect. It's Kubala, it's Socrates, it's, it's Stefano, some other... Uh, now, Atletico Madrid fans, Vieri, they'd want me to say that name. Semina <laughs> Ario uh, from Zaragoza, in their heyday, if you will. And then going all the way back to 1947, the first to do it was Eric er, er, Chavala from athletic club. But anyway, like those are their names, very few names. You're talking about the fifties basically. And one in the sixties, 1997, 2022. <laughs> like that's like the kind of things that Lewandowski is doing with his goal scoring to start this campaign. And I, my guess, Barca spaces had been 40 on the season. And again, he already has 11. It's a third week of September. And I'm the one who went high in the predictions based on the other people I spoke to. Cause they're like, Oh, if he hits the ground running, he's 34, going to be 35. If he gets 30, that's great. It'll help the club win. But I mean, this dude is on pace for what is it? 55, 57 goals or something this season. Yep. I mean, that's going to slow down. Sure. But geez, like that makes Balde's job easier. That makes all these young players that Xavi can put in to, to, to get better, to progress. It's a lot easier when your focal point up top and the guy in training every day, you talked about PK and Alba and whatever in their, their spirit. But even though he's not a Kool-Aid or he's not like Blagran or whatever, like the way that Lewandowski trains and the way that he goes about his professional business, it wouldn't surprise me if these young players are looking at Lewandowski and going like, oh, that's our talismanic figure. That's the guy we're going to follow in the battle this year because that's the guy who leads the line and the guy who's going who's gonna to kill it. Like That's the guy. Okay, and then speaking of players that you need to kind of follow in the battle and, and, and go after, it's Frankie de Jong, who was arguably the man of the match in that LJ match. And it seems to me, our spaces, that a rotation of Busquets when it matters and de Jong against the other 33, uh, 30% of the Liga teams as the pivot, and then de Jong plays in interior with Gabi and with Kessier and, well, and then with de Jong, it seems to me that that's going to be his role this year. So, I, I think uh, it's, it's really difficult. I think Frankie de Jong is a really good player. However, people will continue to criticize him mostly because of, they know how much he makes. 
So he will have to perform close to perfectness for people to acknowledge his abilities and contributions to the team. With that said, I'm not really sure he is the Busquets replacement, to be honest. As a lone pivot, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I believe also Ten Hag, his ex-coach from Ajax, mentioned that his, to be able to unlock Frankie, to be able to benefit from Frankie, you need him to be free, to be able to carry the ball, bring it all the way from the back, run with it, and dictate the, the game a bit forward, closer to the pitch, to be able to pass, shoot, uh, do something creative, and so on. If you let Frankie run around on the pitch, then you leave this massive space behind you. So a simple counterattack will cause disasters. So, which is why in a lot of the Twitter spaces, everyone keeps saying the same kind of thing. What if Frankie and Kessier play a double pivot? When Frankie jumps up, Kessier goes back. When Kessier jumps up, Frankie goes back and so on and so on. It's an interesting idea. I just don't know if Xavi would use that or would like that mostly because it doesn't seem to suit his style of play or his formation or his tactics but maybe like once in a while he'll try it depending on the opponent it'll be a cure i'd really like to see how they perform together as a double pivot both frankie and cassie but I, I still i'm not sold on frankie being a single pivot or the busquets replacement I, I think his abilities his style of play is slightly different or it could be regarded as very, very different, which is why I, I believe that Barcelona will go into the summer and spend big on replacing Busquets. But probably, I think the two rumored ones so far are Ruben Diaz. No, sorry, not Ruben Diaz. Ruben Neves. My apologies. Ruben Neves or Martin Zubemendi. And I'm assuming they will bring back Nico to be that kind of study, understudy, that backup to that role. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel about the Frankie situation. And I wish he also would help out the club by reducing his salary, but that's a, probably a conversation for another day. Yeah, I think the only other talking point from LJ here that we didn't really hit was that Memphis got the start and Xavi is fully willing to rotate players. We saw it, and I really enjoy the rotation so far this year. Like it's rotation, yep. not for rotation's sake to make sure that, you know, Busquets isn't playing every minute of every game like he did last year. Again, he was first in the minutes last year, but now he's ninth overall, that being Busquets. Pedri right now is third in total minutes behind Ter Stegen and Lewandowski, so I'd like to see him rotate just a little bit more. But that said, again, Ansu and Ferran Torres, Xavi has the ability to kind of bring them along and kind of get them figuring things out again while also starting Memphis in a match against Elche and still getting three points. Again, I'll continue to re reiterate this and bang the drum that the gap in the Liga between the top two and everybody else is just huge this year to the point where Xavi is going to have that quote-unquote luxury to be able to, I mean, you have a, a player like Memphis to buy who would be the best player on 98% of teams in world football. And so you have the ability to start him in a game and say, yep. hey, what can you give us? What can you give us? Uh, anyway, speaking of what can you give us, Barca Spaces, you gave us more than enough time today. So I want to thank you for joining the show. And uh, I mean, I was going to say plug it, but that's it. Like it's Barca Spaces. It's going to be down <laughs> in the show notes. And uh, I, I recommend everybody to give you a follow. So you get the alerts as to when you're going to be popping in and um, that's basically if you want to know who's going to be on the show the next few weeks or whatever, generally it just pop into those spaces and you're going to find a name or two that, uh, that you're going to see. So I'm already in talks with some of the people that have been in your spaces 
while I was in there that I'd never met. And so the purist, we, we talked in the spaces, then we talked on here. So our space has been invaluable for me as well. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you. You're always welcome on my spaces. Thanks. I appreciate that so much. So I also want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in the show, Twitter and Instagram. While you're on Twitter, also pop in to us at the Barcelona Pod at HelpMD13 for me. Close Facebook group, that's the Barcelona Podcast. We have a match thread in there that is new and improved, a little more organized this year. So commiserate your emotions with the other fans that way. And then Patreon is how we keep making these shows. YouTube is obviously we can find these shows uh, as well as the match reviews and all the additional content. And then we also have, uh, again, the way that you, that being on Patreon, uh, the way to watch these shows without the ads. So most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon for Sparsa. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.